we are getting back into our series that we've entitled Jesus Unfiltered. Jesus Unfiltered. The reason we're calling this series Jesus Unfiltered is because that's what Luke gives us. He gives us this authentic, raw, kind of gritty view of Jesus, stripped away from all that time and tradition and religion has added over the centuries. See, the Gospel of Luke, this account, was written for a man named Theophilus. Luke tells us this in the very first chapter. And Theophilus was like us. Theophilus did not have a first-hand experience with Jesus. He didn't see him. He didn't know him. But he wanted to know more about him. And so what Luke did is Luke gathered all these eyewitnesses, people who did know Jesus firsthand, people who ate with Jesus, people who spent time with Jesus, people who lived with Jesus, people who experienced Jesus. And he took all their accounts in order to write one cohesive biography about who is this person called Jesus Christ. And so if you're here and you are maybe searching out the Christian faith, you're curious about more about what it means, maybe you used to be part of a church when you were younger and now you're starting to maybe find your way here again, Luke is a great book to be in because it's all about Jesus. And so it's a great part of the Bible to really start your journey back to Jesus because this is what the Christian faith is all about. It's all about Him. And for us as Christians, this is a place that we need to know really, really well because our faith, our faith is not in all the various nuances of certain doctrines. Our faith, the Christian faith, the Christian life is centered on Jesus Christ. And so where we need to go again and again and again is to the person of Jesus and to find out more and more about who he is. So we're going to be in chapter 16 this morning. Luke chapter 16, and it gives us really a story that Jesus tells. It's definitely unfiltered, because I'm going to be straight with you. It's, it's pretty offensive, and it's pretty confusing at first reading. But I believe as we dig into this, there's a beautiful message that God has for us if we're willing to open our hearts to them. So please start making your way to Luke chapter 16. As you get there, a couple days ago, I was watching the movie The Untouchables, old Kevin Costner film, not sure if you guys have seen that before, but it's written about these Treasury Department agents who were set after Al Capone to take him down. Maybe you know that name, Al Capone. He was the great crime boss in the Prohibition era. And this guy, I mean, he committed theft, he committed robberies, he committed so many violent assaults, he murdered tons of people, but he was untouchable. No one no one could pin any crimes on him because he let other people do his dirty work. And so he was able to fake that he was a law-abiding citizen. He was able to fake that he was a good guy when the reality is he was a terrible person doing terrible crimes. But how they ended up getting Al Capone was they followed the money. They looked at his paper trail. They saw how much money he spent and how much money he did not report on his tax forms, and they nailed him for fraud and sent him away for multiple years. They followed, they followed the money. As we come to Luke chapter 16, we're going to see Jesus talking about money. This is not an uncommon thing for Jesus to do. He actually talked more about money 
than he did heaven and hell combined. And the reason he did that is because Jesus knows that you can't fake it with money. There's lots of things you can fake in life. But money, your bank account, your credit card statement, that will always show what you really value. Jesus talks a lot about money because he knows there's a clear connection between our paper trail right into our hearts. And so Jesus talked about money not because he needed money. He talked about money because he wanted our hearts. He wanted to have a hold upon us. And so let's go ahead and read together Luke chapter 16. Read verses 1 through 13. See what Jesus says about our finances. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? since my master is taking the management away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I decide what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little, is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Praise God for the reading of his word. May he be with us now through the preaching of his word. What I want to do to help us work our way through this teaching that Jesus is giving As I want to explain this parable, let's be honest, it's kind of a confusing parable. I'm going to take some time to explain it. And then I want to show you four principles that Jesus is saying here. Four things that he's saying that really are meant to flip the script on how we think about money. That's what Jesus is after this morning. That's what he was after with his disciples then. That's what he's after with us as his disciples now. He wants to flip the script on how we think about our finances. So let's look at this parable and then we'll get into the four principles. This story is a story that Jesus is telling. That's a parable, right? A parable is a story that makes a point. 
Jesus tells a story about a dishonest manager or a dishonest steward. What a steward was or a manager was back in those days is think about someone who has the power of attorney. So you have the boss who's, you know, making all the money, and then you have the manager, the steward, who's managing their money, who has the power of attorney, who's conducting their business deals, who's handling their finances for them. We find out in verse 1 that this manager is doing a bad job. It comes to the boss's attention that the manager is wasting the money that he has been entrusted with. And so the boss tells him, I'm going to fire you. I'm going to take away the management account that you have. And so the manager is now faced with a dilemma. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And he's kind of worried because he says in verse 3, he's like, what am I going to do? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. He's looking at himself, and he's like, hey, I'm kind of puny, and my hands are not calloused, and so I can't do manual labor. And also, I'm not just going to beg from other people because I've got too much pride. So what's a puny, prideful guy to do? And he comes up with this idea in verse 4. He says, I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their homes. This idea of receiving people into their homes is the extension of friendship. To receive someone into your home back in those times was to say, not just have them in your home, but to say, hey, you're part of my network. You're someone that I'm going to support, someone that I'm going to care for. So he's thinking, is like, I'm not going to go to work, you know, manually, and I'm not going to beg. I'm just going to try to get a lot of friends that are in my debt, so that when I need to cash in a favor, I've got a few favors that I can call upon. So that's what he decides to do, and he comes up with this, this scheme where he's like, I know all the people who owe my boss money. He has access to the books. And so he knows people who owe money. He's like, I'm going to discount their debt. I'm going to discount their debt. So they come, and he says, how much do you owe? The person says, 100. He goes, oh, you owe 50. And the guy says, wow, you know, that's great. And all he has to do is pay 50. He does that with someone else and says, oh, all you owe is 80. The guy's like, that's great. And so he's making people grateful for him. And then the boss finds out, and the boss realizes there's nothing he can do about it. Right? The guy still had power of attorney. The boss had said, I'm going to fire you, but that had not gone into effect yet. This is why if you get fired from a job, it should happen immediately. Don't just give someone a couple weeks. So this guy said he was going to get fired, and then he goes to rob the boss blind, and there's nothing the boss can do about it because he can't reverse the decision of this manager. And so the boss just has to admit, that was pretty shrewd. That was pretty, pretty astute. That, that was a creative way to get yourself out of this pickle. Notice, the boss is not commending the action. He's called dis the dishonest manager. What he does was wrong. What he does is something that is dishonest. He doesn't commend the action, but he can at least admire the creativity of it. Makes me think about a time when I was about 10 years old. I stole a soft pretzel from a local convenience store. I know, I know, it was a bad thing. I stole it, and in my stupidity, I didn't eat it like on the way home, I waited to eat it until I got home. And so my parents see me eating a soft pretzel, and they're like, 
Where'd you get that from? And so my 10-year-old mind immediately begins to think, how can I explain that I got a free pretzel and who can I say gave it to me that my parents will not get upset, they'll trust that like, okay, it's not someone trying to poison our son. This is like someone trustworthy. So what's my solution? So I said, well, dad, I was out walking and I met this nun. And she had a dog and so I started petting her dog and the nun just really liked me so she gave me this free soft pretzel I got from a nun. And my dad just looked at me. He's like, well, at least you have an imagination, you know. I still got in trouble. I still got in trouble. But he at least appreciated the thought process. That's kind of what Jesus is saying here. He appreciates not what this person did, but at least like, wow, you're at least thinking. But here's where he really brings, he really brings it home. Here's the point that he's trying to make. It comes in verse 8. It comes in verse 8. He says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So you have the sons of this world being contrasted with the sons of light. Who are the sons of light? Well, Jesus said that he is the light of the world. Think about what light does. When you turn the lights on, you can see things. What is hidden is now revealed. And so Jesus came to show the light to reveal God. Here's who God is. It is me. And so the sons of light are those who believe in the light, who have seen the light, if you will, who have seen Jesus, who believe in him. So the sons of light are followers of Jesus. Sons of this world are those who do not believe in Jesus, who have not seen that light, who aren't living in the revelation of Jesus Christ as God himself. And what he's saying is that the people of this world who believe that this world is all there is, who are not living for anything else other than just the day, they're better at handling money than people who believe in me. Implication, that shouldn't be so. Implication, that's messed up. Right? People who believe in Jesus, people who are followers of Jesus, should be even better at handling money than those who believe this world is all that there is. And so what Jesus does here is he takes his followers into a school of economics. He, he gives a master class on finances. And he really teaches four principles that we should apply that are meant to change our relationship with money. Four principles that are meant to change our relationship with money to free us to have an even deeper relationship with God. That's what Jesus wants to do here. He wants to change our relationship with money to free us to have a deeper relationship with God. And so here's the four principles. I I came up with an acronym to help us remember them. So four principles. Here's the word, flip. God wants to flip the script on how we think about money. So just remember flip. F-L-I-P. Flip. F-L-I-P. So the first principle is F, which stands for forever. When we think about money, we need to think about forever. This is where Jesus points people to in verse 9. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. 
what she is saying here. It's a little confusing. Let's, let's slow down and break it down. What are the friends that he's talking about? It's been a while since we've been in the Gospel of Luke, so let me just remind you of the context. In Luke chapter 15, we saw Jesus tell three stories about things that were lost that were found. And those three stories make one point again and again. God loves lost people. God loves lost people. Those who are far from Him, those who have lost their way, they have a pull upon God's heart. And so our God is a God who goes after, who seeks and saves the lost. That's Luke 15. Luke 15 was preceded by Luke 14, which is where Jesus told the story of the wedding feast. And the wedding feast is the story where Jesus says, he invites in all these sinners to come and eat with him, and he says that he is the friend of sinners. That's who Jesus is. He's the friend of sinners who seeks and saves those who are lost. And the way that Jesus befriends sinners is he shares with them about himself. He shares with them the good news of who he is. He shares with them the gospel. The gospel is the truth that Jesus does not tell us to go clean up our act and then when we're better, come be friends with him. No, the good news of Jesus is that he came to live the life that we fail to live, die the death that we deserve on the cross, and then rise to new life to prove that he's truly God. And then when we place our faith in him, we are saved by being forgiven of our sins, not through our actions, but through faith in his actions. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. And we become friends of God. Sinners become friends of God when we put our faith in this good news. And so think about what Jesus is saying here. Think about what's going on. He's saying if people in this world are shrewd in how they handle their finances just here on earth, how much more so should we be shrewd in how we can invest our finances in sharing the gospel with other people? In verse 9, this is what he's trying to tell them. He says, you have unrighteous wealth. Disciples, you have unrighteous wealth. doesn't mean that they got it in sinful ways. It means that it's unrighteous in the sense that it's something that doesn't have to do with God. It's not going to have a place in heaven. That's why verse 9 says, when it fails, money is going to fail. Money is not something that we can take with us. Money does not last forever. But here's what it says. When it fails, watch, then you, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. Who's going to receive you into eternal dwellings? Those that we've shared the gospel with, those who have come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and now have an eternity with Him in heaven. See, this business manager was trying to do things to get people to like him on earth, Jesus is saying, use your money to make friends, not just here on earth, make friends that will last forever. Use your money to spread the gospel so that there are people in heaven 
who will receive you into their eternal homes. Here's really the principle. Money fails, but what you can do with your money can last forever. Money fails, but what you can do with your money lasts forever. If we use our money to spread the gospel, then what we are doing is we are having an eternal impact on people's souls. That's why one of my favorite authors on finances is a guy named Randy Alcorn, who says it this way, you can't take money with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Money will fail. We leave every dime that we make. We leave it all on earth. But how we spend our money on earth, if we spend it wisely, that can have an effect on people's lives for all eternity, for forever. That's why you see in the book of Acts, as the church is getting going, what are they doing? They're giving their money to the church because the church has been given this mission to make mature and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the mission of the church. We've been commissioned by Jesus to make disciples. Those who are not yet believers in Jesus, it is our responsibility to share the gospel with them. And then as people come to believe in the gospel of Jesus, as disciples are made, it's then our responsibility to help people mature in their faith. We grow in understanding more of who Jesus is and how he applies to our lives. And then as we do that, as disciples are made and matured, we then multiply out. We take the gospel into other areas that have yet to be reached with the good news of Jesus. And so what we see in Acts, the church is pulling their resources to spread the gospel. So what we see in the book of Philippians, Paul commends that church who is living in an impoverished area. He says, you have given even beyond your means for the advance of the gospel. First Corinthians, God commends them for giving generously to the advance of the church. We see again and again, people are using their money for the mission. And so for us, when I see the stories that get shared of the testimonies of what's happening here on Facebook and Instagram, if you're not following us, man, you should follow us. You're going to have your faith stirred. I love reading this past week about what God's been doing in the McCurley's life. And a couple weeks ago, God was doing in the Nelson's life and the Norse life and just different people, Sarah Miner's life. Like we've had just story after story of what God's doing. Friends, these are, what's happening is these are souls that are being impacted for all eternity. Money fails, but what we do with it can last forever. Are you using your money and prioritizing in a way that has an eternal impact? That's the first part, the first principle Jesus wants to give us. We need to think about money. When we think about money, we need to think about forever. Second thing we need to think about when we think about money is we need to think about little. So flip, right? F-L. We need to think about little. That's what he says in verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Let me share what Jesus is saying here by giving you an illustration. I know how many people have heard the name John Wooden. Um, you go ahead. If you heard the name John Wooden. Raise your hand. If you raise your hand online, I can't see you, but hopefully people have heard of that name. All right, John Wooden is the greatest basketball coach who ever existed. He won 10 championships in 12 years. 
Nothing that's ever been repeated in any sport. He's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant mind. When he recruited players, he would get all the best players together, and they would, everyone would want to go to be coached by John Wooden. The first thing he would do on the very first practice every single year, he'd say, guys, we have a goal. We're going to win a championship. So here's what I want to teach you to do. I want to teach you to put on your socks. And that's how he'd start every practice, every year. He'd say, the first thing I want to do in order to achieve this big, massive goal is I want to show you how to put on your socks. See, John Wooden knew that if you take care of little things, that's what leads to you achieving great things. You want to achieve great things, that comes from taking care of little things. If you don't know how to get your socks on right, you're going to have blisters, and it doesn't matter how talented you are, you're not going to be able to play. So let's take care of the little thing of making sure we have it lined up, making sure we have it pulled up, making sure we have it put, uh, folded over so it doesn't move. Let's get our socks on right so we can go win a championship. What Jesus is saying here is that we need to be faithful in little things if we want to see a big impact. But here's what's really wild. What's the little thing that we're meant to be faithful in? Money. Money. Jesus is saying that money is a little thing. He makes this clear in verse 11. If then you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? Right? So the true riches, that's this big thing that God wants for us. Unrighteous wealth, that's the little thing that God wants us to make sure we're faithful in. This is so countercultural, isn't it? I mean, what is bigger to us than money? Money's what makes the world go around, isn't it? Like, I knew this whole COVID thing was getting kind of serious when Disney World shut down. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, things are, you know, when Major League Sports shut down and they start losing billions of dollars every day, I'm like, oh, maybe there's something is to this whole pandemic thing. Maybe this isn't a hoax. Maybe there's something going on. You know, money is, is huge in our culture. But Jesus is saying that's little in comparison to the true riches that God has for us. And again, think about the context here. We saw in chapter 12, it was a few months ago, so it's been a while since we are in chapter 12, but Jesus defined true riches as people who are following God's command to love and serve their neighbors. That's what true riches is. It's loving and serving the people that God has put in our lives. Our family, our friends, our coworkers, our classmates. Whatever spheres of influence we're in, God wants us to pursue the riches of serving others in His name. He wants us to share the good news of Jesus with our lips and with our lives. He wants us to tell the message of His love, and then He wants us to show the message of His love through how we treat others. And so I think of just how many of you I see every week who are just filthy rich. Maybe not in money, but as you're getting here early, we have people showing up here 7.30 to help set up all this stuff. Our service wraps up around 11. We have people who stay till after 12 to clean up. These folks are super filthy rich. Filthy rich. I think about the student ministry that we were just praying for. The opportunity to serve young ones. That's an opportunity to get rich. 
I think about the food distribution that we've been doing. I think we fed, we've distributed something close to 20,000 boxes of food over the past few months. People who are serving that area are just, are just filthy rich. Those of you who aren't just rushing off to the next thing, but who stay and like, hey, who don't I know here? Who, who looks like they could maybe, you know, need a greeting? And I'm going to go make a point to greet someone new and not just go about my life. Friends, that's serving others. There are people who serve in our community, who do block cleanups, who volunteer at our local schools. I think about people who are just loving on their block, who are spending time with neighbors, who are investing in people relationally. There are just so many different ways that we can serve. And friends, in that serving, there are true riches to be found. In that serving, God does big, incredible, eternity-shaping things in people's souls. And so in comparison to those kind of riches, money is considered, oh, just a little thing. Now, not little in the sense that we should just disregard it. No, little in the sense that, hey, if we want to see God use us to have a big, 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 big impact, excuse me, we want to see God use us to have a big impact, a big impact on people's lives, then we should be faithful in the little thing of money. If we're faithful in the little thing of money, God will use us in big ways for His kingdom. Be faithful in the little things so we can be entrusted to do the big thing. Doing big things for God starts with taking care of the little thing of money. Doing big things for God starts with taking care of the little thing of money. See, Jesus knows that where our money goes, there goes our hearts. And so if true riches are to be found in serving God, then the best way to get our hearts aligned to serve God is to start giving our money to God's purposes. Money's a little thing. But if we're faithful in using the little thing of money for God's purposes, that will incline our hearts to want to serve God, which will lead to true riches. So we got to flip the script on money. We got to think about forever. We got to think about little. Here's the third one. We have to think about investing. Investing. I. I for investing. So Jesus says in verse 12, if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Do you see what he's saying here? He wants us to be faithful in that which we have, which is another's. What do we have that's another's? Our finances. See, here's what God wants us to understand. Our money is not our money. Our money is not our money. Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30 says that the tithe belongs to the Lord. That's 10% of our money is meant to go directly to God. But then actually Psalm 24 1 says this, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. God doesn't just have a right to 10% of our money, He has a right to the other 90% as well. 100% of our money is not actually our money, it is God's money. We might have gotten it through our abilities, but who's the one who blessed you with those abilities? And who's the one who gave you the opportunities to use them? 
Friends, we need to stop thinking about money as our money. We need to think about it as money that God has given us to invest on His behalf. God has given us an account. He's given us an account that He has put money into and has asked us to invest that money on His behalf. He's given us unrestricted access to this account. He's put money in it, and He's given us unrestricted access to it. We can either use that as an opportunity to leverage, or we can abuse that as an opportunity to waste. God's given us an account that He's put His money into. And from this account, He, he expects us to set our own salaries. He expects us to determine our living expenses. Your boss and your company does not determine how much money you make and how much money you spend. We choose that. We choose that. God has given us an account, and He's financed it. And He expects us to get our living out of it, but He hasn't given us our money for ourselves. He's given us money to invest for Him. Friends, we need to understand it's a spiritual decision to determine how much money we'll live on and how much then will be left over to invest in other things for the Lord. I think about a man who made about $50,000 a year. He chose to live on $30,000. He chose to live on a lot less. And every year he would just invest that extra $20,000. He'd invest it in various stocks. And his family hate him for it. You're, you're such a miser. Like, you know, we're making more money. We could be living a lot more comfortably. Why are we doing this? He kept saying, hey, just wait, just wait, just wait. And then 20 years later, this guy who had only made $50,000 a year by investing that money wisely was worth $20 million. Friends, we need to understand when God's calling us to invest, he's not calling us to cheapen ourselves. He's calling us to realize a greater payoff. We have insider information on what is really going to matter at the end of time. We've been given the hottest stock tip there is. And that's the fact that this world is not all that there is. That eternity lasts forever and we can make investments now that will pay off and reward when we get to the throne of God. And so how much more so should we be wise in how we invest our money? We don't spend money, friends. We invest money. Let's stop thinking about spending money, and let's start thinking about what are we choosing to invest God's money in. doesn't mean that we can't get stuff for ourselves, but it means that we should think about our money differently. It's not something we're spending. It's something that we're investing. When we get to heaven... What's going to be our ROI? What's going to be our return on investment and how we invested the money God has given us? We need to flip the script on money. We need to flip the script on money. F-L-I, forever, little, invest. Here's the last one. Here's the last one. As we do all this, as we think about how money fails but its effect can last forever, as we think about how doing big things for God starts with taking care of the little thing of money, as we think about how our money is not our money, but it's God's investment account, as we think about that, 
all of this, friends, is not meant to lead to a sense of duty, a sense of obligation, a sense of guilt, where we are trying to earn our way into God's good graces. We're trying to earn God's love. We're trying to prove ourselves to God. That's not what any of this is about. Friends, this is all about praise. This is all about praise. That's the last word. That's the P in the flip. When you think about money, think about praise. So Jesus says, as he closes this out, in verse 13, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. As a pastor, I have different people who come and they'll, they'll want to talk through different things they struggle with. I get to hear all kinds of different confessions, different hidden lusts, different lies people have told, different ways they've experienced maybe pride or anger, and just different things that can give people a guilty conscience. You know what I've never heard anyone confess? Ever. I really struggle with how I handle money. It's really, it's really weighing me down. I've, ne I've never heard that confession. I've never heard someone say, you know what, I just, I really love money too much. I think, that's, I think that's one of my problems in life. I've never heard it. But Jesus is warning us not to do that here. He's warning us, hey, be careful what you love. Do you think maybe he knows something that he's talking about? If he's warning us to be careful about this, maybe it's something that we should be a little more suspicious about that could actually have a hold on our hearts. Friends, as we're listening to this sermon, we should not be thinking about other people and how, oh man, I need to send this to these five friends because they just, you know, they bought five new pairs of Air Jordans and I, they really need to hear this stuff. I need to hear this. I need to hear this. You need to hear this. See, this is something that can be present in all of us. Jesus is saying that we can be tempted to want to praise money. But God actually wants us to praise Him instead. We've been tempted to praise money. And he says this, we can do this in three different ways. He says, watch out that you don't love it. You don't love it. How much do you love money? How much do you just daydream about what you're going to buy? Daydream about how you're going to spend? Daydream about how much you want to have? How much do you get jealous when other people experience different things? Oh, I wish I had money to do that. I wish I could afford that. Those things can show how we are trying to love money. He says also, don't be devoted to it. Don't be devoted to it. It's the idea of seeking to trust it. To look to it for safety and control. To feel, here's a question to get at that. Why, you know, how anxious do you feel about your finances? How worried are you about how much money you have? That's a way to see how much of a grip it has on what you're trusting in. And when we're doing that, when we're loving money and when we're devoted to money, Jesus says, watch out that you don't serve it. You don't serve money. And the word that he uses here for serve, it's the idea of a, a solemn service rendered unto a king. What Jesus is saying here is that you can't have split allegiances. You know, you might be able to work for two different bosses, but you can't serve two different kings. You have to choose which kingdom you're going to be a part of. Are you going to serve the king of money or are you going to serve the king of Jesus Christ? Just as we can't walk in two different directions at the same time, 
so too we can't serve God and money. Now notice, he's not saying we can't have money. No, we can have money. He wants us to have money so that we can use it. He's not saying you can't have money. He's saying don't try to serve it. Don't love it. Don't put your trust in it. See, friends, Jesus is inviting us here into a life where we're not consumed with how much we have. We're consumed with who we serve. We're not consumed with what kind of money we're making. We're consumed with the God we're trying to serve. If we're worshiping God, friends, then as we think about using our finances, we're not doing this out of a sense of obligation or duty. Friends, this is all about an act of praise. Do you realize when you give money to God, that's just as much worship as singing. And so for me, when I give financially to the Lord, I, I have it set up through our website, so it's, it's easy in some ways just to set it and forget it. But something I try to do is I want to connect it to praise. And so every single Sunday as we're singing songs, one of the things I want to constantly be thinking about is, God, right now I'm worshiping you not just with my lips, I'm worshiping you with my finances. And I'm thinking about the money that I'm giving to God. Not to make myself feel good about myself, but to want to be praising and connecting my giving to praise. Friends, that's what Jesus wants. He's not after our money. He's after our hearts. He wants us to be living for His worship. God wants our praise, friends. God wants our praise. And so let's, when it comes to money, let's flip the script. Let's remember that money fails, but its effect can last forever. Let's remember that money is a little thing that God wants us to be faithful in so that we can do big things for Him. Let's remember that our money is not our money. It's an investment account that God's given us. And let's remember, friends, this is not about earning anything from God. It's not about getting a pat on the shoulder. not saying, good boy. No, we have God's affections forever through Jesus. We're not trying to earn anything. We're trying to praise Him. Let's flip the script on money. And let's honor God with our finances. Because as we do, friends, as we do, if we can let God change our hearts... This will free us to enjoy more of who He is. Let's bow our heads in prayer.